Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe and Raiders podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford route. Stan, the Raiders season is over following a seven-point playoff loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. It was the Raiders' first playoff appearance in five years and just their second since 2002. Stan, I didn't think the Raiders played particularly well, yet they still had an opportunity to tie the game on the final drive. Two days later, the first domino fell as owner Mark Davis fired GM Mike Mayock after a three-year run. Stan, did Mike deserve to be fired? Uh, I think that uh, he really didn't do too much to actually earn to be retained. It's probably the better way of looking at it when you look at how Obviously, some of his draft picks did not hit with uh, Henry Ruggs and a Damon Arnett, and they're no longer on the team. You can see even Cleveland Farrell, he didn't pan out to be at the number the number four pick overall in the draft that he came out in, but he's still on the team. He's not out of here committing illegal acts. So I think that just that right there probably sealed Mike Mayock's fake. And then, you know, obviously he can take credit for the Max Crosby signing. I'm sorry, the draft pick and uh, the Hunter Renfro and a few other signings, things like that. But I think obviously whenever you whenever you get rid of a head coach, uh, obviously John Gruden resigned. That's when usually it's probably best to bring in a new GM as well. That way they can both be lockstep within each other just because we all know that just like a quarterback head coach combo you got to have the head coach gm combo so oftentimes whenever you get rid of a of, of a head coach uh it's oftentimes best to have a new gm come in that way he can go ahead and he can give his entire fingerprint or his blueprint on the uh, on the organization for how he wants to construct the team so i definitely understand why mark davis did it and mike mayock did not do enough to warrant him being retained uh, for another couple of years. And then we all remember he's the one that traded for Antonio Brown. And we saw how that ended. You know, I understand what you're saying, Stan, but I do think he deserved at least another year. And one of the reasons I think that because John Gruden, we all know, had final to say on all the Raiders player personnel. I mean, the Raiders finished 25 and 24 in Mayock's short tenure, which was highlighted or low lighted by like you hit on some of the first round picks, Clee Farrell. Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, Alex Leatherwood. You know, I'm not going to put the rugs on the Raiders and Mayoff. Unfortunately, that happened. You know, you know, on the flip side, however, Arnett, he came with a lot of baggage and the Raiders still took him. In the Raiders' three years under Mayoff, the Raiders had 13 picks in the top 100 selections. And all they had to show for it was three starters and Jacobs, Merrig, and, and Mullen. But like you said, Stan, I mean, look at Max Crosby. Hunter Renfro, and even Nate Hobbs, all those guys. Yeah. But I think he did a pretty good job in free agency this year, though, Stan. I mean, Yannick Ngakwe, double figures in sacks. Yeah, Casey Hayward. He was clearly yeah. the Raiders' best corner, and there is mm-hmm. no, there's no debating that. Quinn no Jefferson, you know, good run stopper, Solomon Thomas. But, Stan, whoever the Raiders' next GM is, they're going to have to decide which pending free agents to bring back, and some of them do include Casey Hayward, Jefferson, Jonathan Hankins, another good run stopper, Zay Jones, Jalen Rashard and K.J. Wright, just to name a few. Now, the <clears throat> Raiders have already begun the process of finding Mayock's replacement, requesting an interview with New England Patriots Director of Player Personnel Dave Ziegler. This is according to ESPN and Indianapolis Assistant GM Ed Dodds. And I know he has turned down the Chicago Bears for an interview request. So I think this is going to be a process that's going to play out for a while. We'll have to see what uh, Mark Davis, which way he decides to go for a GM. And then uh, 
you know, before we get to the coach and the postmortem, there's still four divisional round playoff games this weekend. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAVE to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, and boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Dan, only eight teams left. Who do you think the favorites are to be in the Super Bowl? I would probably still go with the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, those are the two best teams that I've seen from each respective conference. I think for the AFC, I think it's a little bit tighter of a race. I got much of a, a much more stronger faith in Green Bay than I do Kansas City, just because they've been up and down a lot this year. Although they've caught wind, I'm sure. I'm sorry, they've caught fire ever since that one faithful Sunday night game against the Raiders at Allegiant Stadium. It seemed like that just kind of got them right back on the right track. Uh, you look at the Buffalo Bills. Great victory versus the New England Patriots on Saturday night, but they still seem very up and down for crying out loud. They lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars and didn't even score a touchdown. Then we see the Cincinnati Bengals, just like we just said off air. Yeah, they're a good team, but they don't they don't look like they have a superpower as of yet, even though they obviously have the pieces to be a force to be reckoned with within the AFC and the NFL for years to come. And then the Tennessee Titans, it's the Ryan Tannehill effect to me. That just right there makes me wonder how far can they really go if the run game is not really firing off of all cylinders. We know Derrick Henry is coming back. But when I look at how if it's on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders, or should I say his arm, it's if it comes down to Ryan Tannehill, I'm not sure that he can carry them across that bridge to the promised land if need be. So that's why, like I say, in the AFC, it seems a little bit more up to grabs than in the NFC with, in my opinion, Green Bay being the obvious best team in the conference. Yeah, I'm with you. I still think it's Green Bay and Kansas City. I'm definitely uh, riding that with you. I think the most interesting matchup this week is the Rams headed to Tampa Bay. I think that's probably, if if I could choose one game, that's probably the game I would watch. You know, it's Tom Brady. Matthew Stafford finally gets his first playoff win. You know, the Bucs are primed for for the pick and stand. I mean, they got so many injuries and, you know, the Rams went all in this year. It was Super Bowl or bust with all the moves that they made. So I think if you're going to watch any of the games this weekend, I think that's the one. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. All right. So look, at we talked about Mike Mayock. Now the next agenda on Mark Davis's list is who's going to be the Raiders head coach next season. I've been on record saying I thought Rich Bisacci had done enough to warrant the interim tag being removed. However, I don't think it bolds well for him, as you just pointed out, that Mayock is out. With that being said, Stan, he did go 7-5 and five after replacing Gruden. Navigated his team through everything they had to deal with off the field. He won four in a row to cap off an unlikely and remarkable playoff appearance. Now, after the Bengals game, we heard from Raider players who showed support to bring him back, including Derek Carr. On Wednesday, Basaccia met with owner Mark Davis to make his case for the full-time coaching gig. Stan, before I get to you, here is Derek Carr, one of the biggest backers of Rich Bisaccia. I think we can all think that he's the right guy. I've I, never seen someone with the ear of the locker room, not just one player, not just one side, but everybody, you know. Um, he's proven 
um, you know, that he, he, people listen to him and not just people, but our team listens to him, uh, you know, and I, I love him so much. I'm thankful for him. Um, all of those things will be decisions that I don't, I don't make. I don't get to make, you know, I just play quarterback and, uh, do my best to complete every pass. Um, but I think that with everything that went on, if you really look at what happened, all, all the pieces missing, um, everything that changed, everything. Yeah. He held it together. You know, you know, we, we, we lose two linemen, boom, like that. You, know, you lose your starting receiver. You lose your number one target. You lose Josh sometimes. You, you, Kenyon's gone. You, you go on and on and on and on. That's just offense, right? And the fact that that staff kept everything together and kept us competitive and kept us winning, finding ways to win football games, I think that's what our organization is about, right? Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, we know what we want to have happen, um, you know, but again, you know, we're Raiders. You know, we, we're going to play uh, football, uh, but we just hope it, you know, obviously we hope it's for somebody special. All right, Stan, do you think Versace is back? Uh, do I think he's back or do I think he should be back? Which one? Both. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that, uh, do I think he's back? I would probably, for my money, I would probably say no, because he's going to bring in a new GM, obviously. And that new GM is going to have his own imagery. He's going to have his own pick. He's going to have his own opinion of whom he wants to be running his franchise. So that right there, to me, I don't think you will see Basaccia back now. Do I think he should be back? I think that he is given a lot of reason for Mark Davis to make a strong, to take a strong look at him, at him being back now. Because of Mark Davis, obviously he likes those splash type of signings. That's why he went and got John Gruden out of the booth and then gave him $100 million over 10 years. So that right there is why I'm not certain that Bisaccia will be back. I think Mark Davis is looking for a name. I think he's looking for a splash. So uh, that right there is why I don't think he probably will. Do I think he's done enough? I think that for all of the distractions that the Raiders have gone through this year with the Henry Rugg situation, with the John Gruden situation, the Damon Arnett, and even the Nate Hobbs after the victory versus the Indianapolis Colts, I do believe that, yes, in, in many years past, even in my years playing, you would see the Raiders have a game that they have to win to end the season against the Chargers, and they would usually come up short. And he was able to propel this team to a victory, getting into the playoffs, the fifth seed, no less, not the seventh seed right. or the sixth seed, right. the fifth seed, no less. So I think that right there is big, you know, and I think that he's earned the right to be able to stake his plan, stake his his uh, his piece as to why he should be the uh, the head coach going forward. Now, do I think that will happen? I think that uh, that remains to be seen. And also just from what I've seen out of Mark Davis, it seems like he likes bigger names, in my opinion. Now, I will say this. If you bring back Rich Bisaccia, I have no problem with that. None whatsoever if you're Mark Davis. Now, if you're Rich Bisaccia, and this is something that I think a lot of Raider fans will agree, there has to be a innovative, young, well, he doesn't have to be young, forward-thinking, creative, or exotic type of offensive play caller. Amen. Amen. You have to, like, you have to have that. So if you want to bring back Rich Bisaccia, I have no problem with that. He's done a great job for thwarting, for, I'm sorry, for 
thwarting all the distractions and keeping his team focused on the prize at hand and getting them to playing in January, not just the season finale that spills over into the new year. They're actually playing in the wild card round of the postseason. So I love that. But if you bring back Rich Bisaccia, if you bring whatever head coach that comes in, he, if, if it's not him, he's got to have an offense coordinator that is an exotic, innovative, creative play caller. That's the one thing that I want to see with the Las Vegas Raiders. As we just talked about before we got on camera, how they made sure to get the ball in the Jamar Chase's hand. The Cincinnati, yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals. They, yeah, they made sure. The playoff they, game. Absolutely. They, come, they come out first game, first play of the game. What are they in? Empty. Yep. They're letting that quarterback, Joe Burrow, they're letting him fling that ball. Hey, you got us here? Hey, go out there, gunslinger, and throw that pill all around the football field. So I think that uh, no matter what, that right there to me is the bigger component. To me is they got to have somebody who's innovative, creative, and is gutsy as a play caller for this offense. Because too many times this past season, it just seemed like the offense was just out there just to be out there. Like they're they're lethargic. Nobody seems like there's really any creativity. It just seems real basic. It seems real bland. So to me, that is the biggest component. And then I'll go ahead and also say this. Whether you, whoever the head coach is, man, whatever. I don't care. Now, me personally, I'm Mark Davis. I'm on the phone right now with Vic Fangio is a defense coordinator. Vic, name your price. I need you in here to go ahead and get this defense right. That to me, I think, is the bigger acquisition is get Vic Fangio in there. Every time Vic Fangio is the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, the Bears, the Broncos, even going back before then, the defense gets exponentially better. So I just want to go ahead and say that. Yeah, I'll get to the defense more in a little bit, but you you and I keep talking. We've talked about this throughout. The Raiders' offense was so vanilla, and they yes. struggled. My gosh, in the first half, their numbers were absolutely miserable, it seemed like, in so many of these games. But Stan, you keep going back to the Raiders want to make a big splash. Mark Davis wants a big name, big splash. And I agree with you. I mean, how long did he pursue John Gruden until he yes. finally got him with the 10 years, 100 million? And look, this one as well, Stan, Mark Davis just bought the Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA. You know what he did? He went out and got Becky Hammond at his, as his coach. Now, yep, Becky Hammond was in line first. for a lot of NBA jobs, potentially. First, but yes. he wanted to make a, get a big name in there, get a big splash. So he goes after her and he lands her. And I do agree with you. And the name that keeps coming to my mind, and it's out there, people have heard it, is Jim Harbaugh. It, it just it won't go away. Whether it's just a bunch of noise, I have no idea. But if you want to make a big splash in the NFL and in that city of Vegas where you're competing with so much, what it, I, I don't know. I mean, can you get much bigger than that? I, I, I don't know. Maybe you can, but it's going to make headlines. It's certainly going to make a lot of headlines. And look, he's got to prove a track record. With his four years with the 49ers, I believe they went 44 and 19 or 45 and 19 Super Bowl appearance. So, yep. look, we'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, I'm a Bisacci fan, but I think if, if Mark's going to make a change, I think he's going to swing for the fences and he's going to go for Jim Harbaugh. And, and, and also, I will say one more thing, D.A., I need, or should I say, not that I need, I'm not, I'm not the owner of the Raiders, <laughs> uh, but one thing I would like to see is a proven quarterback developer. 
that's one thing that I would like to see out of the offense coordinator or the head coach, somebody that's proven. Now, obviously, we took we talked about Jim Harbaugh. I remember him from being part of, being part of the Indianapolis Colts, the comeback kids yep. uh, back in the mid '90s when they uh, were able to go all the way to the AFC title game, where it seemed like they had that Cinderella type of postseason. But when I look at Jim Harbaugh for his years that he's been coaching in the National Football League before he went to Michigan, or should I say, went back to Michigan. Obviously, his quarterback that he really made his biggest name with was Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick's more of a dual threat type. They're running a lot of the RPOs, a lot of the read option, things like that. But Derek Carr, that's not in his wheelhouse. So I want a guy who's more proven is, okay, you know what? This guy right here knows how to develop the pocket passer to levels higher than they were before they got there, something like that. So whether the offensive coordinator, the head coach, whomever, whatever you want to call it, or whoever they get, I just would like to see it be somebody that is a proven quarterback developer, somebody that can make Derek Carr better. And when I say better, I want to see the same Derek Carr that we see every fourth quarter of every game when the Raiders are trying to come back into the game. I want to see that out of Derek Carr from play one like you saw with Joe Burrow. First play of the game, they're in empty. Letting that quarterback sling it. So that's what I would like to see on top of obviously being an innovative, creative, aggressive, exotic type of play caller. And for the record, 58-year-old Greg Olson is the current or temporary, whatever you want to say, Raiders offensive coordinator right then, right now. All right, Stan, looking back at this 2021 season, what are some of the positives you've taken away from it? Mm, well, for one, I would say just being able to handle adversity. I think that right there, if you were to go and just put and just look up in the dictionary, uh, being able to uh, handle adversity or just simply being able to have a singular focus and not allow all the outside distractions to penetrate your dome in any stretch. I think the Raiders would be the poster team for that, for losing your head coach, your leading receiver, first round corner. And then another corner getting a DUI after a big victory going into the season finale. That's a must win versus the Los Angeles Chargers. I remember seeing a stat how the Raiders are the first team in history to have an interim coach go and actually qualify for the right. playoffs. So that right there just shows it. If you're able to handle distractions, that's the name of the game, the NFL. It's just like what they say. What do they say about life? It, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So I think the Raiders, that to me, obviously showed that, you know, this team is ready and this team is able to, to handle whatever life throws at them. But I think that also uh, Derek Carr, he showed a lot of poise throughout the, throughout the uh, down the stretch of the season, being able to go ahead and lead his team to certain victories against the Dallas Cowboys, on uh, on Thanksgiving against Justin Herbert, Pro Bowl quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers, and a former MVP candidate and Carson Wentz for the Indianapolis Colts back in the 2017 season with the Eagles, respectively. So I think that when you look at that, when you look at how certain games, the Raiders secondary, they were able to come up with a decent amount of plays, just enough to win the game. They're not out there playing like the Legion of Boom or anything, but they're able to get off the field when they need to. And then the run defense looked much better down the stretch, starting with the Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys. And then obviously we see against the Cleveland Browns, Brett, uh, Nick Chubb against the Jonathan Taylor-led Indianapolis Colts. And then now even in the playoffs against Joe Mixon, Pro Bowl running back, he had 125 on the ground against the Raiders back in uh, mid-January, I'm sorry, mid-November and doing a pretty good job in the wild card round. So those are some takeaways that, uh, that I saw this season that I liked. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Going back to your first point, Stan, I thought this was the gutsiest Raider team that we had probably seen, what, in 20 years? And maybe, yes. I mean, you could almost make the case going back to 95 when they relocated back to Oakland. This is one of the gutsiest Raider teams that we have seen in a long time. Getting back to the defense, I know you hit on that earlier. I mean, they couldn't get much worse than they did in, or in 2020, but I thought Gus Bradley overall did a pretty good job. I mean, with the addition of Yannick Ngakwe, Quinton Jefferson, Casey Hayward, Denzel Perriman was a brilliant find. I mean, yes, he getting was. him for a sixth-round pick, that was a steal. I feel like, you know, they finally had some kind of identity. You mentioned the, the improvement in the ground game. I mean, Max Crosby, a pro bowler named the AP, second-team NFL mm -hmm. All-Pro. Um, you know, things like that, especially on the defense. And uh, during that, over those last five games, during the winning streak and in the playoffs, the, the run defense was outstanding. You mentioned Derek Carr as well. The Raiders stand, they won six games on the final play of the, of the drive in a game this year. Five Daniel Carlson field goals and then a Derek Carr touchdown pass. The six walk-off wins were actually an NFL record. I looked that up and I was like, yeah. unbelievable. That just goes back to the guts, the ter determination and the leadership and what a weapon Daniel Carlson has turned into. I thought he could have been first team all pro. I was like, I know they gave it to Justin Tucker, but you can make the case. Daniel Carlson deserved it as well. And then Stan, I think there's a lot of young talent to build around. I mentioned Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Trayvon Marig, Nate Hobbs. And I would even put uh, rookie divine Diablo in that category. Crosby's one of the best pass rushers. Renfro uh, had one of the greatest seasons as a Raiders receiver has ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought Jacobs got better as the season went along. The offensive line finally started to open up some holes, and he kind of had flashes from that rookie season. So, look, the Raiders have a lot of talent now. I understand they, there's still some talent gaps in there, but they got a lot of cap space. and the 22nd overall pick in the first round, and I know they have all their picks. I definitely think the future is bright for this team. I, I, I really, really do. So. All right, we hit on the positives. Uh, what are some of the negatives that you'd like to see uh, this team work on for next year? Oh, oh, there's several of those. Uh, number <laughs> one, I think that uh, player development. I think that uh, obviously whether it's the GM, whether it's the head coach, or whether it's just somebody that is bought in outside the organization to go and sit and talk with the players at least once a week, especially the young guys, on, hey, guys, you live in now Las Vegas. You're no longer in Oakland. So obviously the distractions are going to heighten to a certain degree being in Sin City about making better decisions, being smarter, being a more of a forward thinker, being proactive with, okay, you know what, if I'm going to go out tonight, let me go ahead and call a car. Let me go ahead and already have a driver for the night. That way, after I leave said bar, club, house party, whatever, what have you, because I'm already going to have a few drinks, I'm going to then think that, okay, you know what, even though I've had a few drinks, I'm still able to drive. And then the situations like the Henry Ruggs or the Nate Hobbs come into play. So that's number one. I think there has to be better with character development. Uh, obviously, something I did not like is the Derek Carr situation. And I say that because even though Derek Carr, obviously, he propelled this team, he uplifted this team to the playoffs. But okay, Derek, why are you down so much in the fourth quarter where you got to now fight back? Why is that? Don't just be this great quarterback in the fourth quarter going ahead and uplifting the team, elevating the team to all of these walk-off victories, like you just said, the most in NFL history. Why don't we have some of these situations where we're running the four-minute offense where we just got to simply get two first downs and then we can just drown out the clock and then ride home like that, like we could have against the L.A. Chargers on that Sunday night football in B.C., but yet we let Justin Herbert back into it. 
That brings me to the defense side of the ball now. Yes, Gus Bradley, one of the early architects of the Legion of Boom back with the Seattle Seahawks in the early 2010s. I get that. I understand that. But I still saw too many big plays out of the defense this year. I still saw too many big plays in the secondary, too many blown coverages, or just simply guys that were not able to make plays on the ball and not protecting certain leads. L.A. Chargers, season finale, things like that. So uh, I would probably say the young guys with their decision-making, that's character development, or should I say player development, obviously Derek Carr needing to play better the first three quarters, not just being Superman in the fourth quarter. That way he doesn't have to always rely on that magic in the fourth quarter that we saw came to a screeching halt against the Cincinnati Bengals on Saturday afternoon, just a couple of days ago. And then the defense, I think that they're going to have to do better at getting the ball out of the air, make better plays on the ball when it is in the air. And then that way you'll see leads actually being protected more. Even like you go back to the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving, being able to get off the field in those key situations. So those are three things that I saw this year that I did not like as far as uh, the Las Vegas Raiders on both sides of the ball. All right. I've got a couple for you. And I was harping on this one uh, leading into the season. And you know, I was, and that was the offensive line. Uh, I thought the Raiders made a big mistake trading Rodney Hudson, Trent Brown and Gabe Jackson. And it came to fruition, Stan. I mean, Richie Incognito never played a down. Denzel Good tore an ACL in the opening drive of the season. First round pick Alex Leatherwood struggled. So bad over the first four games, they had to move him to right guard where he struggled yeah. immensely in pass protection. Uh, he was replaced by Brandon Parker, who wasn't much better. So once again, I think the O-line is going to be an area of need in this offseason. I don't know if Leatherwood goes back to, to right tackle, but you know I do think they have a couple of very solid offensive linemen and left tackle Colton Miller and center Andre James. I think they can build around those two, but look, they need to find a left guard as far as I'm concerned. They either need to find a, a right tackle or a right guard moving forward wherever they decide Leatherwood is going to do playing next year. And then, Dan, one of the things that haunted the Raiders' offense all season long, and for a few years now, is the lack of success inside the red zone. And it came back to bite them in the playoffs against Cincinnati. The Raiders were one for five with a touchdown, three field goals, and then the turnover on the game's final play. I mean, the Raiders had no problem moving the ball from the 20 to the 20, but once they got to the red zone, Dan, they scored just 52% of their time on drives touchdowns I should refer to they settled for the second most red zone field goal attempts in the league and that's just you know you and I would would text during games man you can't settle for three against some of these better teams and it would come back to haunt them constantly and it did unfortunately against the Bengals where they scored 19 points you know just one touchdown so that's something an area those two areas they're definitely going to have to improve on if they want to take that next step and make it beyond uh, the wild card round next year All right, Stan, uh, we are taping this episode, believe it or not, on the 20-year anniversary of the Tuck Rule game. Oh, man. Where were you you watching the Tuck Rule game, Stan? Okay, I believe I was in my dorm room, or should I say my on-campus apartment, my freshman year of college at the University of Houston. And, yeah, I believe I was in my room watching that game when the tuck rule uh, ensued. Yeah, I was uh, at U of H. I was a rookie, no matter, uh, no doubt about that. It was 2000, early 2002. Three. It was, well, was it 2002? No, it was 2001. Right, January of yeah, 2002. Exactly, yes, January correct. 2002. Okay. I was a rookie at University of Houston, just finished my rookie year. 
And yeah, I'm sitting in the in our on-campus apartment. I had a roommate at the time, uh, Barrick Neely. And yeah, yeah, I still remember that uh, watching that game. Do you think they were going to overturn it? Uh, I mean, I I thought they were, but like really? I said, I was, I was, I mean, well, see, never even I, heard of that talk rule. When, I, I know. So what I'm saying is, like, I thought, I thought, I thought they were going to go ahead and give it to Charles Woods. I thought they were. But, you know, I'm 18 years old at the time, so I'm, I'm just now kind of learning the rules aspect of the game with the instant replay and things like that. I thought that they were going to give it to, uh, to Seawood. I thought they were, but uh, but they didn't. And, you know, a lot of people still have the belief that, you know, obviously this is right after 9-11. You got the New England Patriots, patriotic, very, very USA-driven, things like that. Just, the, just to be an American is very patriotic. Right. So a lot of people believe that that was just their year because they're the Patriots, USA, patriotic, 9-11, things like that. So uh, a lot of people believe that that's what led to Tom Brady actually coming out on the uh, on the uh, successful end of that controversial call. You know, the week before I was working for CNN Sports, the week before the Raiders beat the Jets, I was covering that game. It was in Oakland. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, I hadn't seen the Patriots play all year. So I'm like, I don't know what's so great about the Patriots. And I'm watching the game. I'm like, these guys are nothing special, Stan. You know, the Raiders will win. It's a close game. The conditions were unbelievable. It's basically a whiteout in which yeah. these two teams are playing. And then Seawood hits Tom Brady. The ball seemed, was on the ground. It seemed like an eternity before Greg Beekert finally yep. jumps on it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the Raiders just won. I'm sitting in my living room. I'm like, the Raiders just won. Now they're going to go to Pittsburgh. And I thought, I'm like, they got to definitely have a chance to beat Pittsburgh and get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then Stan, that that, re, that review felt like it took an hour. I don't even know how long <laughs> it actually yeah. was. I'm thinking to myself, what in the world could they possibly be reviewing? They showed that replay. I don't know how many times. I'm like, the guy fumbled. I'm like, he clearly fumbled. And when they were reversed it, I just knew the Raiders were going to lose. I was just like, there's no yeah. way. I'm like, they're not going to have the resolve to come up with the stop. It went into overtime. They lose 16 to 13. He fumbled. I mean, I know that uh, there's a 30 for 30 ESPN is doing. I don't know if it's a half hour or an hour special on February the 6th. I'm not watching it. He fumbled. <laughs> I don't need a special to tell me he to, about yeah. it. He fumbled. He, I even tweeted mm-hmm. out today I I, when I saw it was the anniversary. All I tweeted was he fumbled. Enough said. It, yep. just, it, I'm still angry about it. It's 20 years later. I mean, you can put it Agreed. on my tombstone, Stan. He fumbled. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, obviously we see the uh, the, the referees. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the coaches have always said, do your best to not put the to not put the game in the hands of the referees because in those big moments, sometimes they will break your heart. We look at the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints just a couple oh. years ago with the pass interference call that obviously never was. Uh, you can go and look at the game on Saturday. Obviously, this right here is not the reason why they lost because right. Cincinnati's a good team. But, right. you know, the whole situation with Joe Burrow, he's rolling to his right. He's near the sideline. And then he makes that touchdown pass to, uh, to Tyler Boyd in the back of the end zone. And then there's obviously the – one of the referees blew the whistle early. That's why Max Crosby and a lot of guys on the D line kind of stopped. Yep. Things like that. Obviously, we see Joe Burrow was clearly in bounds when he made the throw, no doubt about it. But you know, just things like that, and that's why that crew is not going to be uh, officiating any more games this postseason. So that's one thing that I was always taught by the Rod Woodsons of the world, the Willie Browns of the world, God rest his soul, or just you know the Art Shells, the Tom Cables, the Hugh Jacksons that. 
Do your best to not put the game in the hands of the refs because in those big moments, big games, big playoff games, those intricate moments, at times, because they're human, they will break your heart just by making what they think is a righteous call. And to everybody else, it is obliviously, I'm sorry, obviously egregious. Absolutely. Well, just because the Raiders season is over doesn't mean this podcast is over. Obviously, we'll bring you all the Raiders up to the latest news, draft previews, all the way leading up to the 2022 season. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by betonline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.